KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. Utah Community Action is one of the largest nonprofits fighting poverty and its causes in the state. To support or access their programs for adult education, case management and housing, Head Start, heat utility assistance, nutrition, and weatherization for homes, visit utahca.org. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. I am Nick Burns. This is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. And thank you, everyone, for plugging into your community with me tonight. We are, of course, the number two radio show in the City Weekly Best Of. So I'll give that a little shout out before we get going. Tonight on the show, you know, for many people in Utah, there's ski season and then there's road construction season. But Honestly, give me a break. How many lanes on the freeway is enough? So tonight on the show, we're going to talk about this new Utah Department of Transportation's proposal to expand Interstate 15 yet again. This would be between Farmington and Salt Lake City. There's rumors of, what, 23 lanes or some? I almost, I almost swore, and you're not supposed to do that That's on the radio. That's right, Nick Burns. <laughs> we'll slide then, to number three if that happens. Uh, so we want to talk about this proposal and we want to talk about really what's wrong with this proposal and how really we need to be thinking less freeway, more buses, more biking, more walking, and so on. That's later on the show. Joining us will be Shelby Stultz from the grassroots activist Sweet Streets, which I just love saying, and also with us from the University of Utah, Alessandro Rigalone, Assistant Professor of Urban Planning. But Laura Jones, yes. some rallies and resources, we should do that first. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're number two. That we're number two, folks. And what are we talking about? City Weekly Annual Best of Issue technically hits the streets tomorrow, but uh, we got a copy today. And KRCL came in as number one yes. radio station. Radioactive is number two radio show. And that just means, folks, thank you yeah. because it's all listener and reader appreciation out there. So it is the community's radio station. Yeah. We are the community. Um, we are the community. I guess that's the way to say it. Mm -hmm. We're on the air. We do this at every every night at six during the week. Yeah. Uh, and again, plenty of rallies and resources. And later on the show, want to get into. Uh, <clears throat> Unfortunately, you dot. Well, you know, the Olympics are coming around again. Uh. Got to get some money. Got to spend it. So uh, we would love to have you add things to rallies and resources. You can send me your events at radioactive at krcl.org. You can also add your own under the events tab at krcl.org. But the rallies and resources, we kind of curate it for a radioactive audience. So tomorrow night, Dr. Dave Derizotis from the University of Utah, a Peace and Studies, Peace and Conflict Studies program. He's been hosting these virtual community conversations this year, Nick. And tomorrow night, the subject is polyamory and society's response. And it's really interesting how they do it. They're not going to record what they do. Uh, mm. It's really meant to foster a conversation. And, you know, here in Utah, land of Zion, 
headquarters of the LDS Church, polyamory actually flourishes. Shouldn't be a surprise with our history of polygamy, but polyamory. Sort of with the history of the LDS Church, I'd say it's sort of a one-way street in that regard, um, based on certain sex and gender. But Dr. Dave Fantastic, again, Mm -hmm. former former co-host here on the show also. That's right. And it is a webinar, folks. So check Rallies and Resources for a link and sign on up. On Friday, an immersive evening with Davina Smith, The Journeys We Can't Refuse, 6.30 p.m., at the Utah Museum of Contemporary Art with the Young Society of Utah. And get this, Nick, this is what Davina's going to be talking about. From a prayer run to an election run, honoring the call of the soul through personal stories from Davina Smith, the first Diné woman to run for the Utah House of Representatives, and the leader of the first prayer run from Bears Ears to the state capitol. There'll be live music and poetry, Rob Little Owl Martin and artist Gilmore Scott. A link for tickets and rallies and resources. For so much that's going on in the world that creates anger and rancor for people, there is so much good. And it's just so nice, Laura, that you're able and that we're able on KRCL to talk about all the good and all the change that is happening because it's so easy to kind of get bogged down in just the crap. I got a press release today about the cost of a Thanksgiving meal, the standard table dinner, going up 11% in Utah alone. Well, folks, if you're looking for some help this holiday season, don't forget we had Bill Tibbetts of Crossroads Urban Center on earlier this week. The annual Thanksgiving turkey giveaway that Crossroads Urban Center does is Wednesday, November 23rd, 10 a.m. till supplies run out. There's no proving that you are in need. You drive up they will throw a turkey and some sides in the back of your car you can walk up as well again it's 10 a.m at smith's ballpark parking lot that's the north east corner i got my directions mixed up i'm gonna have to change that the northeast corner of west temple and 1300 south in salt lake city again a turkey and a couple of sides and that can go a long way check the rallies and resources list at carecl.org For those people who are into it, that can be one heck of a lot of turkey sandwiches. They think they're going to give away 3,500 turkeys this year. I mean, just records. They've seen a need go up at the uh, food pantry that they run uh, significantly. We're supposedly coming out of the pandemic and have this great economy, but there are more people in need than ever. And as we talked about with Bill a couple of times in the last month on this show, there's an increase of families being turned away from the family shelter in Midvale. So something to... uh, Keep in mind, uh, as you are analyzing your end of year or holiday giving, there's lots of food drives and clothing drives, and we'll start bringing those onto the show in the in the coming weeks ahead as well. All right, something else that's happening this weekend that what? I wanted to remind folks, and we have Lucas Horns from Project Rainbow with us to talk about it, uh, is Transgender Day of Remembrance. Hey, Lucas, how you doing? Hey, Laura, I'm good. How are you? Not bad. It's been a while. I know. Thanks for having me back on. It's always, always. always. I meant to get you in so people could sign up for flags. So this is a bit after the fact. But what is happening right now is the memorial that Project Rainbow helped install down at the city county building where there's more than 300 flags. Tell us what's going on down there and how long it'll be up. Yeah, so we put up a display um, this past Sunday memorializing all um, transgender people who were murdered in the past year due to transphobic violence. So each person is memorialized by a trans pride flag that's on display right now on the west side of the city and county building. Um, with their name and a little bit about them. Um, So you can go down and pay respect to these individuals. Um, And yeah, it'll be up until next Monday. This coming Sunday is Transgender Day of Remembrance, the day that is meant to memorialize these folks and um, pay respect to them. So 
according to the Human Rights Campaign, they officially recorded at least 300 violent deaths of transgender and gender nonconforming people in the last 10 years, including 32 in 2022 alone. A new report that just came out today, Nick Burns. And in our community, Project Rainbow has been doing so much to raise the visibility of LGBTQ plus um, experiences, lives, just that we exist. It's like I left my house. I'm like, oh, there's some flags on my street. It must be Project Rainbow and something coming up. And that's how many thousands of flags now for Transgender Day of Remembrance have you been able to place in homes along the Wasatch Front? Yeah, so in addition to the display at City County Building, we do our usual flag campaign for T-Door as well. And so any business or resident could sign up for a flag in uh, their front yard. And we staked more than 1,200 flags across the Wasatch Front for that. And that's the most we've ever had for um, a trans campaign before. We always do the rainbow flags in June, which gets uh, more participation. And so it's great that, you know, um, the trans community is getting that visibility as well. I always think, Nick, about Thanksgiving, you know, the family that you have and the family that you choose. And there's lots of orphans and strays dinners that that pop up around the community and friends giving. And it's really nice for the folks who can do that. I mean, not everyone, I think, has that ability. But this is an issue. If you, if you look at the statistics, and I don't want to go through all of them, but but this, these are predominantly people under 35 who are murdered, predominantly by firearms, predominantly trans of color. Um, it's fairly horrid. So the work you do to bring awareness, you know, I don't, I, I don't know as I would go so far as to say Utah is any better or any worse than any other state in terms of trans acceptance, but it's really great work. And for folks who do need to find their own family, I, I hope that can happen. I know that uh, birth families don't always work uh, for many people. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just say, you know, folks who are looking for that family or people who just want to come and participate this Sunday, we will be holding a vigil at the um, Salt Lake City Public Library downtown, um, where we'll be reading the names of all 323 trans people who were wow. murdered in the last year. Um, and we'll do a candlelight vigil at the display at City County Building as well, and then we'll finish it with a reception where um, that can be a little more social. Uh, so, so come on down to the City Library um, this Sunday at 3 o'clock. Where can people learn more about all these events, but how to get involved with Project Rainbow and all the fun stuff you do as yeah, well totally. throughout the year? Yeah, go to our website at projectrainbowutah.org, and you can join our mailing list. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Project Rainbow Utah. And we will put all those links in tonight's show notes. Lucas Horns, Project Rainbow, thanks so much for coming down. Oh, thanks for having me. It Thank is Native you. American Heritage Month, and we asked Valine MC of Living the Circle of Life for something that explains the concept of two-spirit. Two-spirited or two-spirit is usually used to indicate a person whose body simultaneously houses a masculine and a feminine spirit. The term two-spirit actually emerged in 1990 during the third annual intertribal Native American First Nations Gay and Lesbian Conference in Winnipeg. It's important to remember that the term two-spirit is a Native American concept that Native Americans of the LGBTQ plus identify themselves as, and we celebrate them here on KRCL in Native American Heritage Month. It's Valine MC of Living the Circle of Life, Sundays from 7 to 10 a.m. right here on KRCL. And another part of why Radioactive is recognized as the number two show by City Weekly, our award-winning 
uh, edition of Radioactive was one helmed by Valine MC for Thanksgiving last year, and we will be replaying it on Thanksgiving this year. As a Salt Lake Community College student, so shout out to those students who sometimes <clears throat> occasionally take over Radioactive <laughs> and work with Amplify Utah to get those underrepresented stories out in print and on the air here at KRCL. Pretty fantastic. In fact, I just had lunch with Marcy Young-Cancio of Amplify Utah and the Community College about the next cohort or class that will take over Radioactive in January. And that is on. We're going to do it on Thursday nights, it looks like, this this uh, next year. Still time to get signed up at the community college and take the class. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting. It, it, for now, it's sort of running as an experimental class. But these are students who've been through some or part or all of our journalism program. And maybe they have an interest in print. Or maybe they have an interest in broadcast or podcasting or whatever it might be. But here's this opportunity to come and be on the air here. Um, with some supervision from faculty, primarily Marcy, and working with Amplify Utah. And they put out some great stuff, as witnessed by Valine winning an award. Absolutely. Yeah. It was great fun to be her executive oh. producer on that. Yes. All right. To close out rallies and resources, there is a gratitude festival coming up on Saturday up. at Roots Charter High School. And joining us to talk about it from Yoga Forward, which is putting on the festival, we have Denise Drews, who you may recall, folks, from Music Meets Activism not that long ago, with Amy Schaefer from the Community College class. But uh, hi, Denise, how you doing? Awesome, Laura. Thanks for having me back. And you also have with you Leah Lobato, who took your training... But also does something pretty cool, I think, that dovetails. Leah, will you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, great. Um, thanks for having me as well. I'm Leah Lobato, and um, I actually work with individuals with disabilities to help them with employment. So bringing in a lot of accommodations and support to the Gratitude Fest. And you wanted to, in getting the training, I'm guessing, also create a yoga community around access. Definitely. So um, yoga is something that can benefit all of us. And one of the things that I think is incredibly amazing about what Yoga Assets and Yoga Forward does is bringing yoga to people that maybe have thought that yoga wasn't for them. Maybe somebody who does have a disability and needs accommodations or modifications or somebody who lives in a larger body who thinks there's no way I can do those bendy poses. So I think that the work that they do to make this happen fit perfectly with the work that I do to make things accessible in employment and the community for people with disabilities. So, Leah, we're talking about gratitude, and when I hear you talk about your job, it sounds like your day job is gratitude. I love my day job. So I get to work with business partners to educate them on how to recruit, hire, and retain individuals with disabilities and talk about the full spectrum of disability and how it impacts people and why being accessible and being a place where people with disabilities want to participate and be an employee is is important. And is is, is that a hard sell? Do our employers good listeners and good helpers in, in this partnership? Can, can this gratitude spill over to them? Definitely can spill over to them. I think we have some amazing partners in Utah. We okay. have a, a spirit of service in Utah that comes out a lot in our employer partners as well. Um, and as we've moved through the pandemic and more and more individuals have dealt with mental health issues, we're talking more about disability and access and why it's important to be able to bring your whole self to whatever you do. Yeah. And disabilities can be invisible. I mean, so often in media, people are used to TV where it's a wheelchair or a cane or whatever it might be or speech slur. But we are now seeing 
the sad fruition of mental health coming to the forefront, another disability that, that I think yoga can help. Definitely, especially with young folks. And the festival on Saturday is at Roots Charter High School, Denise. Why did you decide to put it there? Well, because Leah is our great contact. Leah's kids went to school there, ah, and so she they? just we were brainstorming, and she found this amazing location. It is such a cool place. So, yeah, Leah, Leah pulled that one off. So, so what is going to happen? Yeah, what's what's going what's this going to be about for people who so, come? So this is a number one. It's a celebration of our 500-hour yoga teacher graduates, and Leah is one. She's just finishing 500 hours of training, and we ask our students to create a community project. And this was their, this was their their project. So there will be several teachers. It's for families. It's for there will be. Two classes going on on the hour, every hour from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. One class for grown-ups and one class for little people. Um, all kinds Any of playful involved, yoga. because it's on a farm. It is on a farm. We don't get to use the cute goats, No though. goats on the back no during yoga. poses? No, Aww. no. But there will be hula hoops okay. and oh. art projects and crafts, as well as just the yoga that you've grown to love. And Leah's teaching a class that's accessible um, with all kinds of accommodations. We've been hearing from folks that need different accommodation, and she's taking care of that. So we just heard that, that some people might be yoga-phobic, some people fearful of their bodies or fearful of their ability to participate yeah. at, at like a, a, a Insta-ready look. Yeah. Um, so how do you help people pass that? That's a dang good question. I get out of bed every morning trying to answer that. But I'll tell you what, if if there's nothing on my tombstone other than she made yoga a yes for everybody, (laughs) it will be a life well lived. And so this is a great place to start. Truly, if you're breathing right now and you know that you're breathing, that's yoga. Yes. You do not need to put a foot behind your head. Yeah, I've been talking about doing some (laughs) breath work with a family member who's recovering from a fall and an illness. And I'm like, I feel like you're holding your breath. And I'm like, okay, yoga. Yes. We're going to find the yoga, Leah. So, Leah, tell us about your class. What are you going to do? 500 hours on display. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, we're going to do a fairly basic yoga flow that will include a lot of different modifications and accommodations. So we'll have Denise demonstrating chair. I'll be demonstrating typical yoga poses you see, but we'll also be talking through breath and mindfulness. And um, I have put together a whole slide presentation that shows different modified poses. And I'll be stressing the fact that yoga looks different in every body. And it's being here in this moment, breathing and just being centered with yourself. So Nick, the one of the best things about community events like this, especially when the directive is, all right, graduates, put your thinking caps on and do something for community, is no ticket necessary. Show up. That's right. So what should people do? I mean, is it it's on a farm. The school is a farm. The farm is a school. How should they dress for this? Is it in the barn? Where is it going to be? It's going to be in the school. So we have several of the classrooms commandeered, and we've got a big open area. Um, Come dressed comfortably, but honestly, if you're in jeans, we can help you. That's making it a yes. Um, If you have a yoga mat or a towel or a little rug that you can roll out, bring that. We will have some extras. Um, It would be really great if you could go to the Facebook event page, which is Gratitude Fest on Facebook, and just click Yes, Going. That'll give us an idea of numbers. 
um, and we'll be ready for you. We start, we're going to start gathering at 9.45 a.m. We'll do a big closing gratitude circle at the end of the day, and we'll be finished by 2. And just to be clear, all levels, no experience necessary, wear baggy clothes and show up. Yeah, and then you can say, I, the very first experience I ever had with yoga was at this thing called Gratitude Fest, and it got me hooked. I love it. <laughs> tell me about tell me about yoga for kids because I actually have a friend who's taking, you know, a 4-month-old baby to baby and mommy yoga. Perfect. <laughs> you know what? We uh, yoga is for everybody and I'll tell you what our kids right now, you spoke of this earlier, are so stressed out. I'm so concerned about the mental health of our itty bitties. And if we can teach them to not hold their breath, if we can teach them to feel the seat that they're sitting on, to touch their fingers and to be aware of their body in this moment, that's a win. That's giving them skills for the rest of their lives. I mean, we've seen that, I mean, going back to when I was a child, that that sort of touching on education of being aware of, you know, this is, I feel angry, or I feel happy, or I feel sad. Yeah. This just seems like such a logical extension of that. Do you see this happening at schools beyond this particular charter school? Are other schools getting into yoga education and mindfulness for kids? Absolutely. That's another arm of Yoga Forward is we've been working through the pandemic. We worked with a lot of schools locally, specifically with the teachers. We're giving these tools to the teachers because they're stressed out. Mm. So we did a lot of Zoom training, giving them what we call one minute miracles, just a little one minute breath or movement practice that they can do for themselves, but then also implement in their classrooms. So we do have a large library of resources Hmm. for teachers and for the kids. You know, it's funny. I'll I'll tell a personal story and I'll make it quick. I used to smoke and this was a lifetime ago and I quit over 30 years ago now. But I noticed being stressed out during the pandemic, I would catch myself mimicking smoking where you take a big breath and hold it because that was a great way to get a nicotine rush. And it just dawned on me after doing that in the pandemic that it's like, oh, I'm doing mindfulness yoga. And so from there, I could kind of expand on, you know, I don't need to think about camels anymore. You can think about gratitude. So again, however you get there. Exactly. I love that. I'm going to call, I have a new breath practice now, the smoking <laughs> breath. Oh. <laughs> the gratitude rush. Yeah. Don't include the palm all, please. Uh-huh. <laughs> so before we go, gratitude is the theme of the festival. Gratitude and Thanksgiving tend to go together. Anything that you would like to leave us with in terms of gratitude messages? Leah. The ability to um, try something new in an, an open environment. And I'm, gra- I'm just gracious that we have this opportunity to share this with the community. So I'm grateful for that. And, you, and you know, you don't need a snowmobile. You don't need a boat. You don't need a $5,000 mountain bike. You can just listen to yourself breathe. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Denise. I am grateful for students because I learn so much more from my students than I ever teach them. Um, Just to have Leah with me for 500 hours, she has taught me so much about working with people with disabilities. I just opened my eyes to the blind spots I had of how I was making practices inaccessible. So just deep gratitude for my students. So again, the festival is this Saturday, starts at 10 a.m. at Roots Charter High. We'll put details in the show notes. It's also going to be on the rallies and resources page. But what's the website where folks can catch up with Yoga Forward and maybe do a little research on that uh, teacher training? yogaforward.org is our nonprofit website and you know giving tuesday is coming up on november 29th so mark your calendar <laughs> um, and then our for-profit uh, teacher training program is yogaassets.com 
Denise and Leah. Thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, thank, thank, you. thank you. And now, Nick, we would otherwise have some Great Salt Lake news, what with the holidays and certain uh, events that reporters are covering. We're going to have to bump that to another day. I do have an episode of Lake Effect, though. Wonderful. And it's a junior high student from Houston who's been to the Great Salt Lake. Welcome to Lake Effect a storytelling series showcasing how Great Salt Lake, our shrinking inland sea, has touched the lives of people around the state. My name is Leela Moncod, and I live in Houston, and I am a junior in high school there. The first time we went to the Great Salt Lake, I was nine. I remember it as a string of vivid images, the turn in the road where we lost connection, the bird's eye view of the spiral jetty, the water just behind it, the scramble down, first glance of the wondrous pink water, the peculiar sensation of salt crystallizing on my legs. And then my brother skinned his knee in the salty waves, and we began our journey back into our world. As we walked, a sandstorm, a salt storm, picked up. Grains of salt stung our skin. We shielded our eyes with our hands. The ground beneath us was dry, a sort of salt rock, and cracked into scale-like plates. I paused in the midst of the wind and pulled a small plate of rock from the ground and lugged it through the rest of the salt storm. We brought the salt plate back to Houston and hung it on our wall with a wire next to all our art. When guests asked about the rock on our wall, we would say, taste it, and then we would tell them the story of the Great Salt Lake. Last time I went to the Great Salt Lake, I was 15. When we arrived at the spiral jetty, you couldn't see the water. We scrambled down onto the cracked earth, but still, no water. We walked and walked, we walked out of faith. The hard salt rock gave way to sheets of white salt and craters of warm water, the former lake bed. We kept on walking. By the time we reached the water's edge, the spiral jetty was out of sight. Behind us, the salt flats. In front, the bright pink water. A thick mist enveloped us. We walked in and I began to float. The strangest thing about floating in the great salt lake that feels almost like a secret was that I almost felt dead, in a good way. The weightlessness, the white mist, the silence in the air, and the silence in my head. And strangely, it comforted me, made me less afraid of death. Death is an uncomfortable topic to talk about. In a way, so is the Great Salt Lake and its slow demise. They are both so close to our lives, intertwined, but we don't like to talk about them. But no amount of ignoring changes the fact that they are there and they are a part of us, and we need to talk about them. We need to tell the Great Salt Lake story. If a lake can do something as powerful as give insights about mortality, it is certainly worth protecting. This is Lake Effect from the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. Stay salty, Utah. I love that short podcast from the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. And check tonight's show notes for a link to the Collaborative which KRCL is a part of, along with dozens of news outlets, shining a light on the plight of the Great Salt Lake, providing solutions before it's too late. And we'd love to have you share your story. There will be a link in tonight's show notes. I got a song that connects us to our next oh. conversation. It's I asked our <clears throat> guests for a playlist, a couple songs that might get us going for this conversation about inter, Interstate 15 and the expansion. And it's you, a, uh, you went with ACDC, if memory well, serves. I've got that one. Let's do it, because I didn't want to play right next to gratitude so that's why we did the lake event but uh yeah we've got to go on a highway to hell don't we yes radioactive stick around krcl
Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Love Promise, a partnership with local nonprofit organizations to support and strengthen our community. Now accepting applications for 2023 nonprofit partnerships. More information on Mark Miller Subaru's Love Promise and application process at markmillersubaru.com. KRCL is turning 43, and we're inviting you to come out and celebrate the station's anniversary with us at our first ever Holiday Soul Party on December 3rd at the Commonwealth Room in Salt Lake City. KRCL DJs, photo booth, food truck, and live music with Ryan Innes, AM Bump, and the Omega Horns with a special VIP soul set with me, eBay Hamilton. So come on out and celebrate 43 years of community radio with a night full of feel-good soul music and all your favorite radio friends here at KRCL. That's Saturday, December 3rd at the Commonwealth Room. Get your tickets now at krcl.org. Oh, that's going to be a good time. Got a VIP list going and more details on how to get on that at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive, now the number two radio show, according to City Weekly's Best of Issue, which hits stands tomorrow. Coming up at 7 o'clock, it is Democracy Now! And Nick, they're at COP27, so a lot of environmental conversations next hour, including how the military spending fuels environmental damage. Also, who should pay for climate crisis? Global South demands loss and damage from wealthy nations, and that would include the U.S. That would definitely include the U.S., mm. and this has been talked about now for 30 years, but it seems like the developing South is getting a little bit louder uh, <clears throat> in their demands, um, as well I could see as their island nations go underwater. Mm-hmm. Coming up at 8 o'clock, Rude Awakening with Liz, Maximum Distortion with Forgash and Cody D. It's 10.30, and John Florence starts a brand new day at 6 a.m. All right, Nick Burns. I just have to do this. No one can swear in the next 30 minutes, despite how much frustration you may feel about Interstate 15. It's so tempting. Um, Just was reading this Farmington to Salt Lake environmental impact statement, I-15 environmental impact statement, all kinds of acronyms and abbreviations, and we'll try and keep those somewhat out of the discussion. But we've got two folks here to talk about this. And yes, no swearing, but man, it's really tempting. But Shelby Stoltz, welcome. Thanks for having me. Sweet Streets, SLC. You used to be part of Heal Utah. You're stepping out on your own. Mm-hmm. You're from the Midwest. You're clearly a super biker because you came here in the yes. dark in your bike with, Thank you. with gobs of lights. Wearing the helmet and the lights. Um, tell me about this work in Sweet Streets. Sure. So um, at its very core, Sweet Streets is an advocacy organization that aims to encourage our city and our state to develop in a way that encourages people to get out of cars. So we want to make sure that it's safer for folks to walk, bike, and take public transit um, for a whole variety of reasons. And again, we see some baby steps. We see Main Street closed, and everyone says they love it. And yet at the same time, here we are. We want to have, what, a 23-lane freeway through town? It's kind of schizophrenic to me. It's really tough. Um, I think part of uh, what makes this so complex is that, you know, the city's jurisdiction over the state's jurisdiction kind of um, means that there's different powers at be that are deciding how and where these projects go through. So we could have local folks who really would like more bike lanes and more safety for bikers and walkers. And then we have folks from the state that say, oh, I almost said a swear word again. Nick. But then we have folks from the state who just say we're building a freeway. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, if uh, if the Department of Transportation has jurisdiction over that road, uh, they're the ones that are calling the shots on uh, what gets put where and how wide it is. Thank you. And also joining us tonight, Alessandro Rigalone from Salt Lake City. You teach up at the U. Tell me about your work at the U. Um, hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I do teach at the U um, on issues related to urban planning and uh, development. Um, mostly around issues of equity as they relate to urban infrastructure like uh, green space, transportation corridors, and so on. And uh, yeah, it's uh, when the news broke about this widening, was, it was, was tough to hear. I mean, your work, you talk about green spaces, livable cities. It seems to me, you know, a generation ago, 50 years ago, urban planning was where do we put the freeway? How do we build another cul-de-sac subdivision for single-family homes? You seem to be coming of age when <clears throat> things just have to change. Definitely. I think planning has evolved a lot, um, fortunately, for the better yeah. in many ways. And uh, I think best practice nowadays is definitely not about widening freeways, but it's about providing multimodal options to folks to get around. Even, you know, in a regional basis here, we're talking about providing you know, making it easier for folks who live in the suburbs to come downtown and to come through this through the city. We're not talking about improving transportation of local residents. Uh, this is for, you know, the suburban um, mm. residents to come in and get back home after work. Good point. So let's jump into this. What exactly is UDOT saying they want to do? And again, this could be wrapped up in the Olympics. It could be wrapped up in federal money. And it could be wrapped up with just the legislature's obsession with large vehicles. But what is it UDOT wants to do between Farmington and Salt Lake? What's the plan? Shelby. Sure. So um, there's a couple of different proposals that are out there. Um, that are really focused on uh, uh, decreasing congestion and decreasing traffic time. And so how UDOT is proposing to do that is through adding additional lanes to be able to accommodate additional cars on the road. Um, another aspect of the plan is that they're gonna also be redesigning a lot of the interchanges and overpasses that would be impacted by the widening of the road as well. So increasing or, or reducing commute times, more cars on the road, Historically, it seems to me, as someone who grew up in the Detroit area, f pretty familiar with freeways, you build a bigger freeway and more cars just show up and it doesn't change. I mean, how, how, how does UDOT justify that another lane will make people drive, you know, be able to get there quicker? I just have a hard time seeing it myself. I do as well. Um, I believe that concept is called induced demand, but I will let the city planning expert um, so, yeah. speak to that more. So, Alessandro, yes, you know, you build more lanes and they just fill up. Now, maybe that takes traffic off of side streets and some people there are happier. But is this really a goal that, I mean, it's a good sales pitch. We're going to build more lanes. You can get to town quicker. You can get to the jazz game quicker. Is it is it a reality based on historical trends to build more lanes and speed things up? No. So, I mean, there is an initial relief, right, where mm -hmm. you, you might have, uh, you know, for the first year or two, a little less congestion and, and, and faster speeds. But, um, you know, then development catches up. Um, you do have, uh, um, you know, it generally generates more suburban development, uh, more subdivisions further, you know, further and farther from, um, you know, more dense centers like Salt Lake. 
And so, you know, in part, I think this is, you know, I, we like oh. more real estate development this is in the state. And, uh, and so this will, uh, you know, create more drivers uh, over time. And Los Angeles uh, just widened the 405 freeway. Um, uh, and uh, a few years later, the travel times are exactly the same as the previous. <laughs> I mean, it's like Governor Herbert never left. We're going to grow our way out of all problems. We're just going to grow our way out of. So, gosh, I just don't know where to go. Um, there have been public meetings about this. Have either of you attended those? Yes. So earlier this week, um, tonight actually included, uh, there have been a few different public engagement meetings. On Monday, there was a virtual meeting via Zoom. Uh, last night, there was a meeting at Rose Park Elementary School um, here on the west side of Salt Lake City. And then tonight, there's going to be another meeting at the South Davis Recreation Center in Davis County. And at least in terms of your participation, what's the general tone and tenor from the public on this project so far? Um, well, I think that they're, at least in the networks that I run around in, mm. um, folks are definitely not happy about the prospect of the freeway widening. Um, and I, I'm also not happy about this. Uh, I live on the west side. I'm going to be in an impacted community that will see worse air quality and worse traffic noise as a result of this project. So, Alessandra, I wanted to ask you about that, too, that there seems to be research that shows kids who go to school near freeways have more asthma. There are negative health impacts. And yet UDOT just seems to call the concrete trucks and keep going. Do you have evidence of other cities stopping this kind of thing or is this like inevitable? Um, well, <laughs> it's a tough question. So there are places that have, uh, for example, um, if not stopped, put the freeways on mm. the ground, like the big dig in Boston. T tell, uh, me, tell me about that for people who don't know. Uh, it's basically, I forgot exactly, it was in the probably 90s. They, they dug, uh, you know, the whatever freeway goes to downtown Boston, and uh, they put it underground in a tunnel, and then uh, the land that was, you know, created at the, you know, at the street level either became a park or was in part developed. So Let's do that. There's also, yeah, there's, there's definitely, you know, it, our legislators love development, right? And so uh, that would seem like an amazing real estate opportunity if we could do that instead, at least in the, in the portion in, the, in downtown, so, yeah. you know, near downtown Salt Lake. And Seattle is wanting to do that, tear down the overhead freeway and build a tunnel, and they've had some problems with their tunneling equipment mm -hmm. and whatnot. But from your perspective as someone who's, I want to say, a more forward-thinking urban planner and designer, what are we talking about? A billion dollars here for the for this project? Yeah, uh, for this the, as as it's planned now. I think Shelby um, is that. Yeah, the so the legislature has already approved and appropriated one point six billion dollars. Billion and a half. Yes. So right away we'll talk two. So what? And what there's would, the gondola, Nick. Well, that's so. six, that's six hundred million, but I didn't yeah, even want to go not, there it's tonight. It's not going to happen with that money. It's <laughs> oh. going to be much more. <laughs> oh yeah, but but it, from your perspective. As an urban designer who is clearly thinking the future that, you know, less cars would be good for everybody, less fossil fuels, on and on, what would you spend $2 billion on to improve the transportation in the city? Oh, gosh. Um, a lot. Well, uh, first of all, you want to probably um, double-track the front-runner. Okay. That I that is in discussion, but no money. And electrify it. Okay. You probably want to pay your bus drivers a fair um uh, 
uh, salary, so, wage. So, so you can actually hire them. Yeah, okay. we can't hire bus drivers right now. There's reduction in bus service, isn't there, for ski season? Yeah, they're cutting the yeah. bus service for ski season, which seems to feed the gondola mm. <coughs> maw. Because you can't hire enough people. You could if you paid them. If you paid, okay. <laughs> Soapbox, gone away. Go ahead. So, and so uh, public transportation. Uh, and, and then I would also build, you know, transit cannot go everywhere. So you, mm. need, you have what is called the first and last mile problem, meaning that, you know, there will be a, maybe a mile or less to cover between a transit stop and, and where, you, where you live or where, where you want to go. And so that, you know, for that, bikes uh, and, and pedestrian infrastructure are, are key. And so, you know, a network of protected bike lanes or separated trails um, I know the county is working on some of that along some of the canals, uh, um, and the vision will be eventually to connect both sides of the valley, both mountain mm-hmm. ranges, to the Jordan River Parkway, and and have like a, you know a regional network of trails where people can you know use it for commuting, especially with e-bikes, which are amazing by the way if you haven't tried them. And you raise a good point that it doesn't do much good. If that last mile is a six-lane redwood road that you can't cross without taking your life in your hands and you couldn't get across it in a wheelchair if your life depended on it, right? So you need a far more, a, a far greater thinking, right, that you need robust public transportation at a price people can afford, and then people have to be able to get the last mile. Correct. A challenge. You know, Nick, I was reading the EIS, which there'll be a link in the show notes tonight, folks. And public comment goes through December 16th, I believe, Correct, Shelby? yes. So your chance to weigh in, you can do this without going to an open house or a webinar. There is a link on the website, so check for that. But there's so much lingo in there and proposed uh, uh, diagrams and what did I say in, before the show? Spewies and Spewies and soups. Yeah. So the different types of interchanges that they're proposing. But I'm kind of curious, Alessandro, have you heard anything about houses and businesses in the public right-of-way that they'd have to acquire? Um, so good question. So it wasn't either of these meetings, but reports from folks I know are that questions have been asked about houses have been displaced. And they have, um, you know, UDOT has said that at this point they don't have an answer about that, yeah. mm-hmm. which is quite concerning. Um, it's inevitable that some houses will be demolished, uh, and uh, um, f- you know it's just a matter of a geometry, right? Yeah, um, Shelby, you and I both live in Rose Park. We found out as we were talking before the show starts. And had I known, <laughs> you might have shopped differently. I, yeah, because I actually lived on the just east of the freeway for almost thirty years, and I now just hmm. moved just west of the freeway, and I did not know this was coming. Uh, you know a lot more about how UDOT works and planning. Was this a surprise to you, Alessandra? It, it was a bit of a surprise because uh, there's loss of property, um, potentially. I mean, almost certainly uh, there is going to be people who are going to have to relocate. And uh, and it feels that they've been treated as a, as a collateral damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and I can't help but thinking that, you know, other other communities that are not the west side would be treated differently than than the Salt Lake City west side, uh, whereas um, you know, especially a neighborhood that was in red line with generational trauma, that has been through so much, it just keeps being hit, and and it's honestly heartbreaking, um, and 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 yet I'm not very surprised. 
Mm. All right, so um, Nick, one of the things I saw that I wanted to find out from our group tonight is what? exactly how many lanes we're talking about versus what really seems like a large section of the freeway already. And is it hyperbole that it's 23 lanes or or not? How do we get You're to shaking, 23 lanes, Alessandro? Shaking your head no. 23 lanes of freeway. I mean, are we Los Angeles all of a sudden? <laughs> so the two proposed plans that UDOT is kind of publicly servicing right now mm-hmm. without having done an air quality assessment or an assessment of just how many homes or how much property will be left before doing this type of public engagement they're proposing um, adding uh, up to five lanes of regular travel plus two additional HOV lanes. So if you count all of those numbers of lanes plus the planned shoulders, all of this area that is exclusively for cars, it can't be used for anything else because it's a highway. It could be up to 23 lanes wide. So the existing adding on that in both directions. Correct. We get, and this is just Farmington to Salt Lake City, Nick. Right. And so, <clears throat> I mean, we went through this, what, at the last Olympics farther south. Yep. Now we're potentially doing it again. Um, I just think about this $2 billion. I mean, a billion six, we might as well round up to two because you know that's what it will cost. We could pay an awful lot of bus drivers. We have seen success, like with the inversion and free Februaries. Yes. We know that people will get out of their cars if they are incentivized to do so. And I don't know quite how to ask this, and maybe you don't quite know the answer, but is the lobbying of the cement and the transportation road construction people, are they that powerful? That's not something I could speak directly to. Um, I would hypothesize that that's definitely a part of the conversation. Um, You know, from my perspective, a big part of how UDOT's talking about this project is wanting to improve the connectivity of communities. And as Alessandro had mentioned, who is this improving connectivity for? It's suburban commuters. We could instead take a less amount of money, um, you know, something in the half a billion dollar range and propose moving forward the Rio Grande plan and undergrounding some of the train tracks that divide our city down the middle as well. But instead, we're proposing widening yeah, the highway. And Alessandro, you touched on something earlier that's, you know, if, if this kind of work, this kind of project benefits the suburbanites, there's this further complicating factor to me, and that is, gee, we'll just sell you a Prius or a 40-mile-per-gallon car or an electric truck, and then we can build even more subdivisions even farther out and take away even more farmland and create even more problems that way. And that doesn't even seem discussed at all, not to mention where's the air impact study. And that doesn't seem to get talked about at all. No, but it's, um, you know, it's part of the picture, I think. Mm. Uh, I mean, we're going to grow somehow, right? I mean, the, we don't know how much. There are different estimates, but our population is going to grow. And and there's two ways for us to grow. One is just keep growing out and and keep being reliant on cars for everything we do. And that's what this project mm-hmm. would help achieve. And the other way is to grow up. Um you know, and literally and metaphorically both, exactly. right? Exactly. Yes. Yes, and live closer to each other, and live closer to amenities, live closer to jobs, and and moving around. In a, it doesn't mean you need to give up your car. You can use it for certain things, but you don't have to. You're not yeah. forced to use it. You don't have to drive to buy a quart of milk. 
Yes. I, I was fortunate and lived in Germany when I was much, much younger. And I knew a guy that had this gorgeous, gorgeous, he was an engineer, had this Jaguar sedan that he just loved and babied it beyond belief. And he was like, well, I never drive it during the week. I take the train to work. Why would I drive my car? This is for the weekends. Um, Shelby, is is this, maybe it isn't a fair question for you. Um, is this like an age issue that our legislature is predominantly older people who grew up with single family subdivisions, having a green lawn, a golf course nearby, and you do drive to buy a quart of milk and that's just the way it is because it's a cul-de-sac and there's only one road in and out. Whereas both of you guests here tonight, much, much younger, certainly different generation than me, you just see the world differently. I mean, I certainly think that that could be a part of the equation here. I mean, the American dream has been packaged and sold to folks for mm. generations. And um, I personally uh, appreciate having the amenities of a city where I can, you know, be able to see and have conversations with my neighbors across the street where I chose to live where I live because I'm within walking distance of a store. I can ride my bike downtown I'm not reliant on my car to get around everywhere. And so, yeah, I think it's just a different mindset, perhaps. And when all of those folks are the folks that are in power, it means that the decisions that they make are going to be reflective of their dream. If you've driven your Lincoln for the last 40 years, it's probably hard to give it up. Certainly. Uh. I noticed in the EIS a lot of attention paid in there and vision scenarios, that connectivity you're talking about, um, decreasing commute time, but then a lot of attention paid to how people are going to get over or under this expanded freeway as um, cyclists, pedestrians, joggers, skateboards, dog walkers. And uh, this is a very small bone to throw mm -hmm. to, to you, Dot. It showed at least some progression in considering that those are uses, legitimate uses that they could use this money to pay for. But that's a very small bone to, to throw at them, Nick. Well, I was just going to say you mentioned that one of the goals here was to reduce commute time. Mm -hmm. Why don't you spend the money on eliminating commute time yeah. and having, you know, businesses in the neighborhoods where people live? Okay. Duh. Yeah. So this is a conversation <laughs> about urban planning, which is your uh, area of expertise, Alessandro, and your research focuses on green spaces, environmental justice, and public health. What would it take for us to make the best choice now as opposed to the big dig in Salt Lake later mm. or uh, the High Line in New York where we, we bury things and then do something nice with the above ground stuff? Is it something like we just said? Is it an age issue? Is it a pipe dream? I, I think in part is that this is the way it's always been done. And there is an inertia in public agencies like departments of transportation, especially DOTs are very kind of uh, commuter friendly, suburban commuter friendly, mm. and that's kind of their, their thing. Um, I think to change this, uh, I mean, honestly, I, you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball to look in the future and see what will Give happen. Me some hope. <laughs> so I think, I think some hope uh, is that we are talking about it. Uh, some hope is that there are groups like Sweet Streets, Salt Lake City, who are doing amazing work. And and change is probably going to come first at the local level. And in very, very slow and incremental. But it, uh, that's that's how that's how things are. And and changing the, DO, the state DOTs is is, uh, is particularly hard. But I know, you know, we have some alumni that work there mm -hmm. and I know they have, you know, 
certain values and they know what widening roads means. Well, it's very complex because the, the policies are so intertwined. We still live in a state that is hyper-focused on supporting fossil fuels. And again, what happens there? Then gas is cheaper. Then you can afford to drive more. Then you are going to get in your car more for many people. And it seems to me that there's there's a to really get change, all of those <clears throat> interested stakeholders have to work together, yes. right? The true cost, the true social cost of fossil mm -hmm. fuels must be recognized. Kids with asthma, mm -hmm. air pollution, mm -hmm. and on down the line, right? And this proposal does none of that. Yeah, and I, and I want to point something out that I think is really important is that this is an environmental injustice, right? Um, to burden neighborhoods that already have lower life expectancy, that are hotter in the summer, that are have higher air pollution, to burden them even further with more lanes, more asphalt, more cars more driving, more noise. That is, uh, you know, making existing inequities worse. And and that's, I think, the only ground that where this problem, this project can probably be contested on civil rights and environmental justice laws um, because it is, uh, you know, it is making this problem of... And you, and you force those people who are already at the lower socioeconomic and you force them into a system they can't really afford because then they need a car because there isn't a bus and, or they're late to work and lose their job and a thousand... Other, I mean, it just snowballs where it just seems like, like you say, it's very incremental. We have seen, you know, painted bike lines. That's something, and I hope that helps you, Shelby. We, we would like to, you know, move the bike lanes out of the street. But it, like you say, it's very incremental, and it's local. And inherently thinking about uh, the way that we've always done transportation planning, it's a class-based problem. Like you just brought up, uh, the cost to own and operate a car, I believe AAA had cited that as being approximately $10,000 a year to deal with annual maintenance and insurance and fuel costs. And so if that's your baseline and you can't live near where you work, um, you're placing a huge financial burden on a group of people by designing your cities as that's the baseline requirement for how to get around. And then they're in your car for an hour, so you're not with your kids and you're not reading to your kids and on and on and on and on. Oh, so design for getting people out of their cars seems fairly straightforward. We could start with more buses by paying bus drivers. Living wage. Living wage would be handy. And Shelby, you mentioned something earlier that, that really was kind of an eye-opener for me, and that is not only more buses and public transportation, but it's got to be useful to people. It has to run regularly, right? If You know, the bus comes at 8.30, and oh my God, it's 8.40, and now I'm late to work, and because the bus broke down or whatever the heck it is. But if the bus comes every five minutes... Nobody has to give a care. You just show up and the next bus rolls through. That's how most developed countries do it. And yet here we're on this screwy, you know, you can take the B bus and then get on the 409 and then trade to the C and takes you an hour and a half to get, you know, nowhere. <clears throat> High frequency with dependable schedules is exactly what people need to make taking transit second nature. You need to be able to just walk to the stop and know that within five to seven minutes that there will be something that's going to show up yeah. no matter what time of day it is. And thank you for that because I never ever thought of that. When I was a kid and went to school, I rode the public bus to school. There was no school bus, but I never it never dawned on me the bus just came every five minutes. You just, you just walked out there and one would show up. 
And what, yeah, what we got to do to make that happen is make sure that we have our transit authorities that are well-funded so that they can pay drivers the wage that they need to be paid and that they can support adding frequency and reliable service. And wouldn't that be a whole lot easier than $2 billion for, for 23 lanes of freeway? It just it seems ridiculous. But yet, like you say, there's this almost this inevitability. There's just a snowball because the people in charge, that's how they've always done it. So that's what we need to do. But like you say, it serves the whiter, richer suburbs, not the city. <clears throat> it seems to me we all live in a city. What's the social media where folks can catch up with Sweet Streets? Sure. We're at Sweet Streets SLC at Twitter. Um, also online, SweetStreetsSLC.org. And, Alessandro, you actually have quite a, quite a Twitter presence. <laughs> yes. What's your handle out there for yes. folks to check up? It's uh, A-L-E-R-I-G-O-L-O-N. Great. We'll put it in the show notes. P- pithy time. comments from you on Twitter about this project that perhaps we can't repeat on air. Uh, so no, I encourage no, I, everybody to I check don't that cuss. out. I don't cuss. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for minding your P's oh, and Q's, yes. folks. Another great show, Nick Burns. Thank you. Tomorrow on Radioactive, Best of Utah with City Weekly's Pete Saltas, friend of the show here and also writer-photographer Kat Palmer, talking about... Our awards. How cool is that? <laughs> we'll get into more than that, but yeah. Yes, yes. We're it, number two radio show and yeah. KRCL number one radio station, according to City Weekly Readers. I will sleep well tonight. But seriously, if you've got a story you'd like to share on the show, an issue you'd like us to cover, record a short voice memo, send it to us, radioactivekrcl.org. Keep it short, maybe three minutes at the most, and uh, give us your name and phone number. We will check it out. Views, thoughts, and opinions, of course, shared by guests are their own don't necessarily reflect those of the board of KRCL, the staff or the members of Listeners Community Radio of Utah, 90.9 FM. KRCL executive producer Laura Jones. I am Nick Burns. Democracy Now! is next. Have a great night, everybody. Thank you. KRCL, Salt Lake City. 90.9 FM KRCL's funding comes from individual listeners like you, as well as businesses, corporations, and foundations. KRCL has an open meeting policy. The station holds open board of trustee and community advisory board meetings. You may view KRCL's yearly financial report, audited financial statements, EEO reports, and meeting schedule on our website at krcl.org.